Welcome to a lecture on social rights and the Council of Europe. My name is Henrik Christensen and I'm a Deputy Executive Secretary to the European Committee of Social Rights. When I talk about social rights and the Council of Europe, I essentially talk about the European Social Charter. The Charter is a, a legally binding human rights treaty initially adopted in 1961 and revised in 1996. The Charter implements at European level the social rights proclaimed in the Universal Declaration of, of Human Rights. Um, and the Council of Europe, in fact, has long defended the idea that human rights are indivisible, that social rights are human rights on an equal footing with the civil and, and political rights. Already back in 1966, the, the then Deputy Secretary General of, of this organization, Polis Modinos, said that all of these rights are equal and indivisible. It is not a question of choosing between them. If you do away with one, you do away with all. In my lecture today, I will first very briefly provide a history of the creation and the, the development of the Charter. And I will refer to the extent of the ratification of this treaty by the, by the member states. I will give an overview of the Charter's substantive guarantee, the rights it protects, um, before turning to its supervisory machinery. In particular, its regulatory body, the European Committee of, of Social Rights. And then the two monitoring procedures, the reporting procedure and the collective complaints procedure. I will point to the strength as well as the weaknesses of these procedures. And I then intend to, to conclude with some remarks about certain political or systemic challenges currently facing the Charter uh, and facing social rights protection in, in general. Now, the European Social Charter is the result of a protracted negotiation process which started uh, as early as 1949 when the Council of Europe's uh, ambition was to draft a comprehensive human rights treaty that would embody all the rights uh, set out in the Universal Declaration. However, the member states decided to adopt a different treaty uh, which would con concern only the civil and political rights. That treaty, of course, is the European Convention on Human Rights. And then during the continued negotiations on the Charter in the 1950s, uh, there seemed to be a constant wavering between two possibilities. The first one being to draft an ambitious uh, human rights treaty at the same level as, as the Convention. The second being to draft a sort of uh, European framework for social policies which would allow member states to, to coordinate or harmonize their policies. The Charter, which was finally adopted in, 1960, in 1961, in many ways constituted a compromise between these two options. It provided for an ambitious set of rights, uh, but with a rather weak mechanism for their enforcement. At present, however, uh, after several treaty developments, notably the adoption of the Collective Complaints Protocol in 1995 and the revised uh, Charter in 1996, and also after more than 50 years of, of monitoring practice, 
The Charter is, beyond doubt, a true human rights instrument. Anyone who reads the, the output of the European uh, Committee of Social Rights, its conclusions and decisions, uh, its, statements, its statements of interpretation, will see that it consistently interprets the Charter as a human rights instrument based on key underlying values such as uh, human dignity, solidarity uh, and non-discrimination. The Charter entered into force in 1965 after the required minimum of five member states had ratified it. And the revised Charter, which uh, incorporates or updates the rights contained in, in this 1961 Charter, and also adds a significant number of entirely new rights, entered into force in 1999 after three states had ratified it. In what uh, follows, I will essentially refer to this revised charter uh, unless I, I say otherwise. At the moment, 43 out of the 47 Council of Europe member states are bound by either charter. At present, 34 states are bound by the revised charter and 9 are still bound by the 1961 charter. Liechtenstein, Monaco, San Marino, and Switzerland uh, are the four member states that have yet to ratify uh, the Charter. Now for the rights. In terms of its substantive guarantee, the Charter is an extremely wide-ranging treaty. In 31 articles and 98 numbered paragraphs, it sets out rights in areas such as employment, social security, health, housing, education, migration and non-discrimination. It sets out rights for workers. It sets out rights that concern everyone. It set, sets out rights that protect specific uh, groups of persons, such as children, persons with disabilities, the elderly, uh, migrants. And it really addresses everything which is essential to developing cohesive and inclusive societies. Uh, and to achieving what the uh, Secretary-General of the Council of Europe, uh, Mr. Jagland, has termed democratic security. The right to work and everything related to the world of work is obviously a very important component of the Charter. At least two-thirds of the rights uh, relate directly to the labour market. But in fact the Charter is much more than that. Uh, the legal status of children, equality of men and women within the marriage, integration of persons with disabilities, protection of the elderly, conscientious objection to military service, housing standards, shelter and care for failed asylum seekers, corporal punishment of children. These are just a few examples of the many different issues that the Charter touches upon. As for the labor-related rights, there are the rights which are predominantly individual in nature, such as the right to work, including the pro prohibition of discrimination in employment, forced labor, there's a right to reasonable working hours, to health and safety at work, to fair wages, to dismissal protection, uh, and so on. And there are the more collective labor rights, such as the right to organize, the right to collective bargaining, to collective action, the right to strike, and to information and consultation at, at the workplace.
Non-discrimination is a crucial horizontal principle of the Charter. It's laid down in Article E of the treaty, listing a series of, of prohibited grounds while leaving the door open to, to other additional grounds to be defined. The Charter also requires equal treatment of foreigners, but here there is an important restriction in that this applies only to lawfully resident nationals of the other states' parties to the Charter, and not to everyone present in the territory. This is clearly uh, a weakness for a treaty that purports to be a, a human rights instrument. It's another special feature of the Charter, and some would say that it's a weakness, that a country can choose which provisions of the Charter to accept as long as it accepts a certain minimum. Under Article A of the Revised Charter, a state party must accept at least six out of nine uh, so-called hardcore provisions. Article 1, 5, 6, 7, 12, 13, 16 and Article 20. And in addition, it must accept enough additional provisions so that it is bound in total by not less than 16 out of the 31 articles or 63 out of the 98 uh, numbered paragraphs within these articles. Although most states have accepted most provisions, leaving out only a handful of, of paragraphs, there are states which have uh, accepted quite close to the very minimum. And this obviously means that there is a degree of variable geometry uh, to, the, to the scope of the Charter's guarantee in respect of different uh, member states of the Council of Europe. The Council of Europe pursues a constant dialogue with, uh, with states to persuade them to accept additional provisions, uh, and several states have done so, in fact, in, 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 in recent years. And, of course, the ultimate goal being that, that all states accept all provisions uh, of the Charter. Now let me move to the, to the supervisory mechanism, how we ensure that states comply with the obligations that they undertake uh, when ratifying the Charter. State compliance is monitored by the European Committee of Social Rights, which is an independent body composed of 15 members of recognized international expertise in social matters, they are nominated by states and elected by the, Council, the Committee of Ministers, the, the highest political decision-making body of, of the Council of Europe. And this committee makes a legal assessment as to whether the situation in the states' parties is in conformity uh, with the Charter. And in doing so, in making these assessments, it interprets the different articles of the Charter, uh, giving them meaning and scope. And the committee operates within two procedures, the reporting procedure and the collective uh, complaints procedure, which I will now uh, try to explain. Under the reporting procedure, states submit written reports with regular intervals uh, on how they apply the charter in law and in practice. The committee adopts conclusions on this basis, on the basis of these reports, for each provision for each state, uh, stating clearly whether the situation is in conformity with the Charter or not. 
And then there is a process of follow-up uh, to the findings, the findings of violations, uh, where, and this follow-up is ensured by the Committee of Ministers, uh, which acts upon uh, proposals prepared by a governmental committee. And the Committee of Ministers can address recommendations to states that do not take the required steps to, to remedy any violations found. Article 21 of the Charter provides that states shall submit reports on the application of, of the accepted provisions uh, every two years. However, it's been a long time since the procedure worked like that, in fact. On the basis of decisions by the Committee of Ministers, the structure and the periodicity of the procedure has undergone a series of transformations over the past 30 years with the most recent changes being adopted in 2007 and 2014. In 2007, so-called thematic reporting was introduced. The charter uh, provisions were divided into four thematic groups, one on rights relating to employment, training and equal opportunities, one relating to health, social security and social protection, uh, a third one relating to labor rights, and a fourth uh, group on, on the rights uh, relating to children, families and migrants. And then with reports on one thematic group yearly in a four-year cycle. Uh, and this means that, uh, in fact, states report on any given accepted provision uh, every four years. Then in 2014, uh, so-called simplified reports were introduced for states bound by the collective complaints procedure. And this entails that every second year, these states uh, submit a report that concerns exclusively uh, the follow-up uh, they have given to decisions in collective complaints. And for these states, and I will come back to, 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 to these states, the interval between the ordinary reports on any given uh, provision is now eight years, so obviously a very long time, um, and which also says something about the, the comparable uh, slowness of, of the reporting procedure. Now, a few words about the, the other procedure, the collective complaints procedure. It's an optional uh, procedure that at present is accepted only by 15 of the 43 uh, states parties to the Charter. It allows trade unions, employers, organizations and NGOs to lodge complaints alleging violations of the Charter. And I think it's fair to say that if the reporting procedure is still the Charter's backbone, because it applies to all 43 uh, states parties, then the complaints procedure is probably its future this procedure, I think, has done more for the visibility and impact of the Charter uh, than any other development over the past 50 years. It really represents a step towards indivisibility in the enforcement of social rights. It involves uh, civil society directly in ensuring respect for, for the rights. And it establishes the European Committee of Social Rights as a quasi-judicial body handing down decisions on state compliance. Decisions that may be declaratory in nature, but nevertheless set out the law of the Charter and require states to take 
implementing measures uh, in domestic law. The complaints procedure is simple and transparent. The criteria for the admissibility of complaints are few and not difficult to fulfill. The procedure is also quite rapid. The average duration of proceedings is around 19 months from the date of registration of a complaint to the decision uh, on the merits uh, by the committee. Although it has to be said that case processing times have become longer in recent years, notably due to an increase uh, in the number of, of registered complaints. There's a clear trend for, for increased numbers year by year, and also due to the limited, uh, the relatively limited resources of the committee's uh, secretariat, and indeed the committee itself, uh, with its 15 members only, and with its uh, uh, relatively few weeks of, 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 meeting, uh, of meetings uh, every year. Since the entry into force of the procedure in 1998, the committee has registered a total of 158 complaints, and at the moment about 40 of these are pending before the committee. In terms of complainants, a majority of complaints, around 60%, uh, have come from international NGOs, about 30% have come from national trade unions, and the rest is made up of complaints from international trade unions, national employers' organizations, and also national uh, NGOs. Looking at the state's parties uh, concerned, the complaints have been quite unevenly uh, distributed. Almost a third of the complaints uh, concern France, about 14% uh, concern Greece, Italy and Portugal each account for about 10%, whereas some other states have had only two or three complaints over a period of more than 15 years. So, so quite an uneven uh, distribution of, of, of complaints. So far, the committee has handed down uh, some 115 decisions on the merits of complaints concerning a wide variety of issues including uh, the rights of Roma, assistance and shelter for irregular migrants, the right to organize, the right to strike, the rights of persons with disabilities, access to abortion, many other issues. In the large majority of complaints, about 75%, the committee has found for violation. And this, I would say, is not due to any radicalism uh, on the part of, of the committee, but it's rather a function of, of, of quite skillful litigation strategies by the complainant uh, organizations, who in most cases obviously are very well prepared and have significant uh, resources at their, their disposal to, to pursue this type of, of litigation, which is of course quite different uh, in this sense from, from uh, individual applications uh, systems. Uh, where individuals obviously often do not have, uh, have this level of, of resources. Several of the committee's decisions have created a real echo, not only in the states concerned, but also at European level. One example is, is the series of uh, decisions on austerity measures in Greece, 
where the committee held that some of the, the measures taken at the insistence of the, the international creditor institutions to increase labor market flexibility and to reform the pension system in, in Greece, that some of these measures in fact violated the Charter. Another example is the decision in the so-called Laval complaint, where the committee found Sweden to be in breach notably of collective bargaining rights as a result of the implementation uh, in domestic law of the EU posted workers uh, directive uh, and, and of the uh, and, and the uh, Laval judgment of the European uh, Court of Justice. The committee's uh, decisions finding a violation of the Charter due to lack of a prohibition of all forms of corporal punishment of children in several member states have garnered quite a lot of attention and have contribute, contributed to the positive dynamic we are now seeing in Europe where more and more states are introducing bans on corporal punishment. One of the most recent decisions of the committee made public uh, in October uh, last year uh, in a complaint uh, International Federation of Human Rights versus Ireland concerned the right to housing and here the committee found that the Irish government had failed to take sufficient and timely measures to ensure housing of an adequate standard uh, for a significant number of families living in, in social housing estates affected by sewage uh, invasion, contaminated water, dampness, persistent mold, uh, etc. Uh, so this was some examples of, of, of decisions in, in the collective complaints procedure by, by the European Committee of, of Social Rights. Let me now move on to, to the, the political or systemic uh, challenges uh, that I referred to in, in the beginning. The first has to do with the status and effectiveness of social rights. The indivisibility and, and interdependence of human rights is, is an oft-repeated refrain, especially on solemn occasions when toasts are made. Uh, but we all know the reality is that social rights remain marginalized when compared to the civil and political rights, and that states hesitate or are not inclined to fully engage uh, with the Charter uh, and with the, uh, the committee's case law. Within the Council of Europe, the differential treatment of the European Convention on Human Rights on the one hand uh, and, and the Charter on the other is, is quite obvious. The ratification of the Convention is compulsory for every member state of this organization, while this is still not the case uh, for the Charter. Another example is the Committee of Ministers' follow-up to decisions and conclusions by, by the European Committee of Social Rights. The rather cursory attention given by the Committee of Ministers to these decisions, and sometimes the paucity of steps taken to ensure that violations are remedied, differ quite significantly uh, from the importance given to the execution of judgments uh, of the European Court of Human Rights. At national level, implementation of the, of the committee's decisions and, and conclusions is also uneven and, and far from satisfactory, revealing the commitment of states to social rights to be often 
merely formal and perhaps rhetorical. The picture, however, is not all negative. There are many success stories with states changing their laws to conform to the Charter. There is also a promising tendency for domestic courts in several states to be increasingly ready to rely on the committee's case law, its decisions, especially when it derives from decisions in collective complaints. Another important challenge, obviously, is the economic crisis that became acute in 2008 and which is still putting social rights under tremendous pressure with sweeping cuts to social security benefits, with labor market deregulation, sharp reductions uh, in overall social expenditure, um, all of which is particularly detrimental to, to vulnerable groups in our societies. And that said, it's, it is also my impression that social rights have been under pressure uh, at least since the 1980s uh, and the, the, the neoliberal turn. Austerity is not really a new phenomenon in that respect. It is rather the, the severity of it in some states and the, the discourse of there is no alternative. That perhaps is, is, is more recent. Uh, but austerity as such is really not that new a phenomenon uh, when we're talking about uh, social rights. Already in its conclusions 2009, the committee issued a statement emphasizing that the rights of the Charter must be fully protected, also under conditions of austerity. The committee stated that, and, and here I, I quote, the economic crisis should not have as a consequence the reduction of the protection of the rights recognized by the Charter. Hence, the governments are bound to take all necessary steps to ensure that the rights of the Charter are effectively guaranteed at a period of time when beneficiaries need the protection most. As already mentioned, this general approach was applied and, and further developed in this series of complaints uh, lodged by Greek trade unions against Greece, uh, and which concerned both uh, labor market measures but also uh, drastic uh, pension cuts. I do not here have time to, to go into the details of, of these cases, obviously, but let me just recall uh, that they clarify what is unacceptably disproportionate and retrogressive under the Charter, and thereby they, in a way, go up against the, the, the orthodoxy of, of, for example, the creditor institutions preaching that austerity is an objective necessity which trumps human rights considerations at all times. Now, finally, a final uh, challenge that, that I see, namely relations with, with EU law. In general, the rights established by the Charter are guaranteed in a more or less explicit manner by, by EU primary law or secondary law, in addition to, the, to references to the Charter in the EU treaties. Uh, most of the, the solidarity provisions in the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights are directly inspired by Charter provisions. In regulations and directives, the EU has addressed a large number of social, social rights-related issues, including working conditions, labor, health and safety, social security coordination, social dialogue, 
free movement of workers and, and non-discrimination. Uh, most recently, the European pillar of social rights proclaimed in 2017 at the, the Gothenburg summit refers to the Charter. Uh, and in fact, the, the Secretary General uh, of the Council of Europe has publicly called upon the European Union to, to ensure that the standards of the Charter uh, become benchmarks for the implementation uh, of the pillar uh, in, in the years to come. The, re the, the revised charter, for its part, draws inspiration from, from various EU instruments, especially the, the employment-related directives, such as the, the Young Workers Directive, the Pregnant Workers Directive, uh, the Collective Redundancy Redi Directive, uh, the Insolvency uh, of the Employer Directive, and, and several others. Now, despite this, um, this apparent harmony, uh, this apparent uh, mutually uh, reinforcing relationship, I think you can say that the re relationship between the two legal orders has to some extent been like ships passing in the night. Much of the EU secondary legislation in, in the social field makes no reference uh, to the Charter. And the Court of Justice uh, in Luxembourg has paid little visible attention to the Charter and, and to the Committee's case law. And the result has been a gradual drifting apart of standards in certain areas. Examples of, of discrepancies uh, between the two legal orders include, for example, the, the Family Reunion Directive and the Working, uh, time, the working time Directive where the, the, the charter standards uh, are arguably somewhat more uh, demanding. I also mentioned uh, already that the committee has found Sweden to be in breach of the charter as a result of the implementation of the Posted Workers Directive uh, and, and the Laval judgment of the Court of Justice into international law. The committee has even been called upon to explain in a decision concerning working time in France that there can be no presumption of conformity with the Charter, even when a state is in compliance with, uh, with European Union directives. Neither the situation of social rights in the European Union legal order, nor the procedures for, for drawing up secondary legislation in, in the social field uh, in the European Union would justify a presumption as to the conformity of, of EU law with, with the European Social Charter. Although all of the, the current 28 EU member states are bound by the Charter, there is really a lack of consistency and symmetry in the acceptance of the, the Charter instruments, which raises issues of legal clarity uh, and certainty uh, at, at European level. Nine European Union uh, states are still bound by the 1961 Charter, with the 19 others being parties to the revised Charter. There are also significant differences in the number of uh, provisions accepted by the different EU uh, states. Uh, some uh, EU states like France and Portugal have accepted all the provisions uh, of the Charter, while others have accepted much less, and in fact some of, of those states clo very close to the minimum. And 
it should also be mentioned that only half of the 28 EU states have accepted the complaints procedure. So a more balanced and symmetrical commitment of the EU states to the Charter would facilitate greater convergence between the two legal orders and could ultimately lead to accession by, by the EU to the Charter, even though this last possibility is, is likely a rather distant prospect now that the process of accession to the Convention has at least temporarily uh, run aground. So what are we doing about these challenges here at the, the Council of Europe? Well, over the past few years, the, the Council of Europe has initiated new political efforts to strengthen the role of the Charter. Uh, these efforts are sometimes referred to as the Turin process after the 2014 high-level conference in Turin in Italy, where they were launched uh, by the Secretary-General uh, of the organizations. These efforts are based on the realization that what is necessary is more investment in social rights, not less, and that the poverty, the exclusion and the, the social upheaval caused by austerity, by the economic crisis, is a breeding ground for intolerance and extremism. And so objectives have been defined by the Council of Europe, measures have been taken or are foreseen in, in a number of different areas. First, reinforcing state commitment to the Charter by encouraging more ratifications of the revised Charter and acceptance of more of its provisions. By having more states accept the collective complaints procedure, by raising awareness of the procedure among NGOs, among trade unions and employers' organizations, and by authorizing national NGOs to, to lodge complaints. Second, a better implementation of the Charter by pursuing economic policies uh, that favor respect for social rights, and in particular by ensuring that any austerity uh, policies or recovery plans do not uh, effectively undermine uh, the Charter standards. Third, strengthening follow-up to the Committee's conclusions and decisions. At Council of Europe level, by way of the Committee of Ministers taking a more principled human rights-based approach, including by addressing recommendations to states, uh, and at national level by ensuring that national administrations, parliaments, take into account the Charter and the Committee's case law when they prepare a legislative or administrative measures. Fourth, strengthening the European Committee of Social Rights by involving the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe in the election uh, of committee members, by increasing the number of members of the committee to, from the present 15 to perhaps 18 or 21, and by reinforcing the committee's secretariat, notably through allocation of more human resources to it. Fifth, improving the synergy uh, between the Charter and EU law, preventing possible conflicts, uh, in particular by taking into account the Charter and, and Committee case law when preparing new EU legislation and when transposing such legislation into national law. And in the longer term, European Union uh, accession to the Charter should definitely be considered.
And then sixth, improving in information and communication on the Charter, for example, by training judges, legal professionals, and other relevant actors in the Charter standards and procedures, and also by intensifying awareness-raising activities aimed at the, at the wider public. To conclude, the Council of Europe has initiated, I think, an ambitious project to embed genuine social rights protection into the political and legal landscape of Europe after many years of gradual erosion of the welfare state of social Europe, an erosion that has been ex exacerbated by the economic crisis uh, of the last nine, ten years. The Charter's future and that of social justice in, in Europe could well depend on the success of this project.